This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book Four, Coming Home. Chapter 10. Eventually, they left that place far behind them. Each of them would still visit from time to time, never happy to find themselves back there, even if only during infrequent, fitful dreams. It was, after all, only an old house on the edge of a frozen lake. Perfectly normal, apart from the chill wind that blew in over the ice, carrying the low howls of the damned. G let Assam set their course away from the lake and the house, the frozen ground gradually giving way to barren, packed earth. Their footfalls sounded flat and dead. There were no landmarks, no features to the landscape, no trees, no rising hills, even the river, that thin trickle of sorrow they were so accustomed to following by now, was nowhere to be seen. The horizon itself was faint, barely distinguishable from the pale sky above. Even G felt a little blurry around the edges. Are you sure we're going the right way? She asked her brother several times. And, several times, Assam assured her that he was, and they were. He could hear their mother whispering to them somewhere out on the edges of his mind, he followed the thread of her voice, leading his sister along through the barren plain. G kicked the ground as she walked, but even the meager dust she managed to stir up was inert, settling back down almost immediately in the flat, breezeless air. It was not cold. It was not hot. It was neither dark nor light. With no sun, they had no way to measure their progress, no way to know how far they'd come, to know how long they'd been walking. It might have been forever, for eternity. They might, Assam thought vaguely, even be wandering in circles, their feet left no prints in the hard-packed earth. Impossible to tell if they were, and doubly impossible to retrace their steps, should it come to that. But he trusted himself enough to follow the thread in his mind, that thin voice he recognized. He had enough faith to believe that they would find her, that they would bring her out once again. He stopped walking. Next to him, G fell over. He helped her up. Okay? He was barely able to muster the strength to form more words. She nodded, her head bobbing feebly on her neck. Fell. He did not even bother to agree. Why do you... She trailed off, staring at him for a long moment. Why do you stop? He tried to remember, his brow knitting. His thoughts were moving in slow motion, and he didn't know... Music, he said, raising his head. His sister looked at him, uncomprehending. He touched her ears. Listen. Nothing. Nothing, and enough of it that they might have stood there forever had not G gasped, saying, I hear it. And she did, the faint sound of music drifting through the air like a small rivulet trickling through a parched, drought-ridden land, searching 
desperate for something to quench. And then it faded away once more. Assam raised his hand, drawing Ji's eyes to a faint shimmer off on the horizon. There. They continued on towards the mirage, sometimes forgetting why they were even trying to reach it, but then the music would drift past once more, like the sound of wind chimes on a quiet afternoon, and they would shake themselves and remember to keep walking. She didn't notice, didn't realize when they finally arrived. She might have kept walking had her brother not pulled her back. She heard him shout, but she couldn't think of what it was that he was saying. It might have been her name. It might have been something else entirely. But she came to herself, standing up to her knees in warm, tepid water. Her brother dragged her back to shore. If he hadn't, she might have kept walking until she drowned. They were standing on the edge of a little pond, not much larger than a swimming pool. The ripples she made smoothed out immediately the surface as flat as the surrounding earth. She looked up at Assam. He was staring into the center of the pond. She followed his gaze. Under the surface, they could see the bottom of the pond sloping steeply, downwards, away from the shore. The water was clear, clear enough to see the pale bones littered all along the bottom to where, down near the center, a dark, oblong shape rested in the mud. It took G a moment to realize what she was looking at. An old upright piano, tilting to one side. Faintly, the sound of music drifted up through the water. G did not recognize the song. She wondered if it was a show tune. What is this place? Her brother didn't answer. She examined the sodden rags wrapped around her feet and kicked them off. Let's go. They kept walking, leaving the pond behind and continuing on into the barren plain. After a time and a distance, they saw a small dark figure on the horizon in front of them. They headed towards it. It was a man, crouching in the sand. They approached him carefully. He was dressed in a long, flowing robe, kneeling to trace something in the ground with his fingertips of his right hand. He glanced up to them with dark, friendly eyes as they came close. His mouth, buried beneath a broad scrub of beard, worked soundlessly for a moment. Assalamu alaikum, he said, as though the words had lain there for years, rusting in his throat. Neither G nor Assam knew how to respond to this. No matter, without waiting for them to answer, he returned to what he was doing. He ran his fingertips over the hard-packed earth again and again, his arm moving slowly back and forth. Despite his effort, he barely left any trace in the hard ground. Assam and G watched him for a moment. What is... Itaf, the boy asked. What does it mean? The man did not stop. It is my mother's name. I am writing it here so I will not forget it, as I have forgotten so much of everything else. 
He looked up at Assam, his hand still moving lightly over the earth. It is a matter of honor and respect. If I do not know who my mother is, how can I profess to know myself? And if I do not know myself, then I am lost for certain. He smiled, looking back down at his work. But, mostly, it is my mother's name. The man stopped and stared down at the thin letters etched into the ground. It is an honor to her, and we are told, honor your father and mother. And your days will be long upon the earth. Assam wasn't sure why he'd said it, but he'd heard it somewhere, and it sounded right. The man looked up at him, still tracing his endless patterns in the dirt. And do you? Do I what? Do you honor them, boy? Your parents? I don't know, Assam answered, honestly. I'm trying to. The man nodded, casting his eyes down. That is a good thing for you, he said approvingly. You will please your God by this. Having no gods of his own to speak of, Assam had nothing to say in reply. Which God are you? she asked. Without missing a beat, the man replied, There is only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. No, she said, correcting him. There's lots more. I've met some of them. The man did not look up. You have met evil spirits of wind and sand and flame, posturing demons masquerading for their own amusement and your damnation. He looked up at her with genuine, kind concern. You must resist them, child. Their tricks and torments will only bring you pain. Not really, she said. The ones I've met bring waffles and milk chafe. The man blinked, then said, Sweet enticements to snare you with, child, nothing more. She opened her mouth to argue, but Assam put his hand on her shoulder. Can you tell us anything of this place, and how we might find someone who is lost here? He heard himself, imitating the man's voice, his style of speaking. It felt appropriate. The man looked down at the letters in the dust. He stopped tracing and lifted his fingertips, inspecting them. What I know of this place, he said, is what I see here before me. These four letters, this patch of ground, my mother's name. He sighed. I am sorry, but I am the only one here and it was always that way until you arrived. How long have you been here? I do not know. Have it been a couple of days? Weeks? She asked. When did you die? I do not believe that I have died, the man said softly. I have no memory of such a thing. What do you remember? G shook off the hand her brother put on her shoulder. As you see. He swept his hand over the patch of earth in front of him. 
I remember my mother's name, the smell of her hair, the patch of burgundy light and the iris of her left eye. G started to cry. The smell of her own mother's hair came back to her in a rush. It was a wonderful thing to go into her parents' room and bury her face into her mother's pillow. She wanted very much to do that right now. Assam put his arm around her. We're sorry to have disturbed you, he said. We have to keep moving. Our own mother is waiting for us. No disturbance, boy. And I am sorry to have distressed the young lady. He leaned forward and squeezed the tip of G's toe between his thumb and forefinger. I enjoyed our talk very much. This is such a desolate place. What's desolate mean? G asked. Lonely, the man replied with a smile. Abandoned. Forgotten. Thank you for speaking with us. Assam nudged his sister. Come on. Farewell. The man was already starting to trace his letters again. G waited behind for a moment. The man raised his eyebrows to look at her. There are other gods, she said quietly. I've met some of them. They're nice and friendly and funny. And they take care of strangers put up food for stray cats. The man said nothing. Also, she said, pointing down to the faint letters scraped into the earth before him, that's fate spelled backwards. The man's hand stopped. He blinked and looked down. She walked off after her brother. When she looked back, the man was gone. She caught up to Assam. Together they walked further, wandering through the blasted, barren plain, passing by all manner of relics and remnants. They passed a playground, rusting away on the open earth, the metal pipes pitted and cracked, brown with age. G considered the slide, but decided it wasn't worth the risk of total collapse. Further on, a battered leather jacket lay crumpled up in the sand. Nearby, a business suit and briefcase lay abandoned, vomiting papers and computer disks. They passed the remains of a burnt-out campfire, the embers long, cold, and little more than a blackened pit in the earth. A half-empty bottle of ketchup lay forgotten nearby. They saw hoofprints, the size of dinner plates, crossing their path, but whatever beast made them was nowhere to be seen. And they saw people, here and there. Some were gathered in groups, staring silently up at the sky. Others sat and rocked back and forth, moaning or giggling or reciting snippets of scripture and poetry and what a psalm would have sworn was a sitcom description out of the TV guide. And still others seemed perfectly happy, to be where they were. There was one couple, two men in tuxedos, who drifted across the bare earth, dancing in each other's arms and oblivious to everything else around them. Four women, their faces the color and texture of carved wood, sat around a card table, 
playing a game with brightly colored tiles. A dark-haired man sitting alone on a short slab of concrete, reading a comic book and smoking a cigarette. G waved at him. He nodded and gave her a smile as they passed. A woman carrying on a conversation with someone unseen. She said something, waited, then cocked her head to listen. You know who I am, Jim, she answered to the air. They passed five small children gathered around a game board. G went over and peeked to see what they were playing. The board was decorated in black and ivory with numbers and letters on it, a crescent moon in one corner, a sun in the other. One of the children had their fingers on a small water glass, moving it around the board. My turn, my turn, another of the children whined. The others ignored her. G looked to her brother, but he just shook his head. But the strangest of all were the number people. They sat or stood alone, away from everyone else, speaking carefully into the air. They rattled off a span of random numbers or words, sometimes for minutes at a time. Then they fell silent. After a long moment, they would begin again. Sometimes they spoke in other languages. G was the one who called them the number people. What are they doing? She asked her brother. I have no idea. What does Tango Whiskey Bravo mean? He thought for a moment. Well, tango is a kind of dance, and whiskey is a drink, it's alcohol, and bravo is what you yell at the end of a play, so... He trailed off, thoughtful. G waited a moment. So? He shook his head. I have no idea. They walked on, passing more and more as they went. They threaded their way through a topiary garden, all manner of animals and characters fashioned not out of hedges, but out of what appeared to be discarded shopping carts. A woman, sitting in a recliner, staring at a television and gesturing to the vacant chair next to her, browbeating her unseen husband and the empty air. A line of children standing in front of an old refrigerator, holding the door closed and giggling. Their path crossed by rusted, weed-choked railroad tracks, leading off into the horizon on either side. Maybe we should follow them, G asked, but her brother shook his head. Little piles of dark, pitted lumps of volcanic rock arranged in a broad spiral around a small, puckish man with a scraggly beard at their center. I'm not here, he told the children as they passed, picking up another pitted and black rock, setting it in place. I only come here to dream. Rows of children, weeping in front of an old puppet theater, bound to each other and to the theater by a thick iron chain. A woman with a large triangular hole torn in her cheek, who would not stop following them, begging them to take her home until Assam patted her arm and said that he would try. 
She nodded gratefully and went on her own way, still weeping. All this and more they saw. They could have spent years wandering in that place and not seen the same thing twice. Sometime later, Assam stopped and pointed to a dark shape on the horizon. There she is. G stared at him for a moment, confused. Then she started to run. Come on! Wait! He caught up to her and grabbed her arm. What are you doing? He nodded to the figure. Just being careful. But... Remember the piano? She stared at him for a moment and then looked back up at the small figure ahead. Okay, she said. Let's go. They started walking again. You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and read by the author, T.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Please direct all inquiries to the attention of the author at www.tmcamp.com. If you are unable to access the Internet, spread a thin layer of peanut butter over a slice of whole wheat bread. Sprinkle it with unsalted sunflower seeds and place it on the sill of any second-story window in your home. When the blue jay arrives, whisper your request to her. She will pass it along. If you live in a home with only one story, move. She nodded, her head bobbing feebly on her banak. Banak? Banak.